I'd like you to turn this morning to the book of Philippians. Philippians with me. Philippians. I really like this book, the book of Philippians. It's got some interesting things about it and in it. You know, one of the things, the word sin is not mentioned one time in all of this book, which I think is sort of unique. And I think in part, it's because the Apostle Paul shared such a unique relationship with these folks in Philippi. Philippi was not necessarily a Jewish town. Philippi is located at where in the region of Istanbul, in that little isthmus between Europe and Asia Minor or modern day Turkey, where Istanbul would be Constantinople, what it used to have, different names. Some of those folks must have been Texans, you know, because you can drive on one road around here and it's Highway 93, and then you go a little further and it's 118, and then it's, it's 301, and then it's something else, but it's all the same road, amen? Somebody in the government must have had family members that were in the sign making business. That's all I can figure out. But they changed the names of those places. But it was a place where many Roman citizens and soldiers retired. That's why when Lydia got saved, they were down at a river where they were having prayer. There wasn't a synagogue there in that town. Not known for that. So it wasn't a marketplace. It wasn't a place of great trading and so forth. But Paul had a connection with these Gentiles that were there, like Lydia. She's the first one to get saved in Europe as the gospel went that way. And so this is an interesting book, an interesting book. And so let's begin reading in verse 8 of chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 in verse 8. And this has some very familiar verses in it, like, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that people quote some of these things sometimes. They, they uh, in their, I don't know what the, when they sign their letters in their benediction on a letter, they may put verses like this, for me to live is, and, and to die is a gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Another one that we know about, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, what? Through Christ which strengtheneth me. And then there are others as well. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and so having our thinking right. And so this Bible, it, this somebody, uh, when I was hadn't been saved very long, uh, I'm thinking about Brother Paul that came. I'm trying to think of his last name. When he came to Sulphur there, he taught us about this particular book. He called this the mental health book of the Bible, the mental health book of the Bible. So we want to look at some things this morning, all right? Let's begin reading in verse 8. Paul here, writing from prison, he said, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And what that simply means are the bowels of Jesus Christ is his innermost affections. Innermost. He said, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. I want to speak to you this morning about the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you indeed for this glorious word that we have today. Lord, I, we just appreciate so much the wisdom and grace 
that we find on its pages, Father. Help us to appropriate it into our lives, to believe it, Lord, fully and completely, to trust it, to employ it, Father, as we live this life. And I pray, Lord, that there may be fruit in our lives, the fruit of your gospel that you gave to us. May it be evident, Lord, and may it bring, as Paul asked, may it be unto your praise and glory. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, Paul is very much devoted to this particular church. Now, I don't think he was a man that had partiality. We talked about that being impartial. God's not a respecter of persons. You know, but the Bible, you know, and I, I think God loves us all. Amen. I do think that. Lost or saved alike. You know, because the Bible says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right. And uh, so that wasn't for all the God-honoring, Christ-trusting, Christ-believing. No, that wasn't that way at all. And, uh, and yet David said of the Lord that he liked me. And, uh, and there, may be, you know, there may be people that come across our lives uh, as believers. We're to love them all, but we may like some more than others. And, uh, and I don't think that makes us partial. And, I, and my point was, is that Paul uh, really loved this church. And there's some reasons for that that he outlines in chapter 4. He talks about the times that they communicated with him when there was a need, that you were the only ones that did. And, you know, and, and some of the men that came from that assembly, like Epaphras or Epaphroditus, others in that region, Colossae and this church in, and the church here, at Philippi, the things that they did, how they ministered to him while he was in prison. And Paul was not an ungrateful man. He was thankful for that. And we use, and sometimes one of those verses we like to use is, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in, in Christ Jesus. But the problem with that, that's not a credit card. That has, that's directly proportional to how we take care of missionaries. Amen. That's how that works. That's not carte blanche, you know, that you just go out there. I used to work with a guy. He'd say, man, you know, write the check and pray for the rapture. You know, that's not, that's not the way that, that God works, all right? And so, so here, I, what it's very plain is that they were in his mind. Look what it says. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Man, it, it's nice to be on other people's minds. Amen. Now, when, when those minds are minding their own business, of course, amen, but, uh, but it is nice to be remembered, is it not? Man, uh, you know, it ought to be an encouragement to you that your brothers and sisters lift your name daily to the throne of grace. That should strengthen us in our faith and walk. So they were in his mind, and notice what he says, uh, and always in every prayer of mine for you all, he was always in their prayers, he was always in their heart, and uh, why? Because he loved them. And, and, uh, and, and so when he says, look at verse 8 again, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In other words, this wasn't a sentimental love. This wasn't a, a mushy sort of thing. But this was something that was derived from his relationship with God that he was having with them as believers. And so it's written from prison. And Paul reveals his prayer for them that they would bear, if you will, that fruit of the gospel. Notice how it puts this. Notice what he says. Look at verse 5. It says, uh, it, because, you know, it says this. He said, for your fellowship in the gospel. 
So they were having fellowship in there, all right? The gospel is what brought us together. The gospel is what has brought you all together. Uh, you know, some 30 years ago before you became members of this church and others at various times, but it was the gospel. That was the, that was the key ingredient, if you will, that connected everything together. It was your relationship with God. And he was writing to remind them about that. Then notice what he says in verse 12. He said, I know the things that have happened unto me have happened rather what? Under the furtherance of the gospel. So here he knows that, that what uh, was occurring in his life, whether he be in prison or whether he be out a free man, he knew that God had ordained some things so that he could spread the gospel. And this was intended for the furtherance of the gospel. And in doing so, in prison, some men were made bold because of that. Some people recognized Paul's bonds. As much as, as, much as people are looking for causes today, there's always somebody out there looking for a cause, you know, that they can stand on something that they can either protest over or whatever. But there were people in, in, in Paul's day who, uh, who, who preached Christ uh, out of envy and strife and some of goodwill. And, uh, but he knew that what was happening to him was for the furtherance of the gospel. And if you read the book of Acts, you know that's what happened to him when he got into Rome. What happened? Man, he said there were four quaternions of soldiers, now, what that simply means is that there were soldiers around him and they changed every six hours. Four times six is 24, all right? So in a 24-hour day, or if you will, Paul would have 24 soldiers around him, six at a time, four times a day. And, uh, and he said from everywhere from the prison to the palace, because those guards, if you will, they were taking turns in their rotation. Some of them were on palace duty. Some of them were on prison duty. But he had a chance, if you will, to influence them, to see them saved, and to bring the gospel to those soldiers. They couldn't leave. They were standing a watch. He had a captive audience. They thought they had him captive, but he had those soldiers captive. And, uh, and so he was able to deliver the gospel to them from the prison to the palace. So it was for the furtherance of the gospel. He always kept that in mind as he was living his life, that this was about the gospel, the gospel. And then notice what it says. Look in verse 27, same, same, same chapter. Notice what it's, correction, verse 17, notice what it says. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul wasn't afraid to defend the gospel. What? That it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, he knew what the gospel could do. And then lastly, look in verse 27. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. Now watch. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, that they were imparting to others the truth of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's gospel, if you will, the good news for man. And so Paul, what I want to talk to you about is the fruit of that gospel, something that he was praying for, for those individuals in that church at Philippi as they focused their mind and attention upon the gospel and their purpose in this life. You see, you know, when you get saved, man, you get, you get peace with God, don't you? Amen. Isn't that a blessing, man, to know that our sins have been, are forgiven and that heaven is our home. We get the peace of God. 
and, uh, and because we have peace with God. And then, you know, we get power to live and uh, that we might be overcomers through Christ and through his through our identification with him on Calvary. We become overcomers that sin does not have dominion over our lives. And then the third thing is, is that you and I now, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. And he was trying to keep that purpose before them so that they wouldn't have problems. You know, the church, the, you know, the church at, at Corinth, it had divisions. I mean, the church at Corinth had a lot of issues. They did. I mean, if, if ever uh, two books were written to correct uh, errors. It's the books of First and Second Corinthians, and uh, and you know, uh, not everybody received that, and not everybody received the correction. Hence, part of the reason for writing Second Corinthians that they thought he didn't have the authority to do what he was doing, but he did. And uh, but man, I mean, there was division in the church. They were very petty. They were childish. He said, "I can't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto babes, even carnal." They were carnal, fleshly. Yes, they were saved, but they were fleshly. And, uh, I mean, they were drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were taking each other to court, suing each other. Instead of solving the problems within the church, they went to, they went to uh, judges. They went to, to unsaved people to solve their problems. That's not what God intended. And, uh, and, and you know, and then there was the tongues issue, speaking in an unknown tongue. And, uh, you know, I have enough trouble controlling the one I got without asking for another one. All right? And I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying that the truth of the matter is, if you look at Acts chapter 2 and you find out what tongues are, they're actually a language. Not an ecstatic utterance. And, uh, and, and so it's a language. And I, I think when, when these missionaries go to another country, I think they got the gift of tongues. Some of these guys are speaking stuff. Good night. You know, these guys that go to China. The Chinese language with all those ideograms and all those, one of the hardest languages in the world. You know, English is not very easy, by the way. And uh, for some of us who struggle with that, all right? And, uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, these things were happening. And, uh, and so they, they had these problems and they were written to correct these things. And so I think here, in particular, he does not want to have happen here what was happening in Corinth. That was not that far away from them, if you follow the, the way the countries are right there. And so he wanted them to have unity. And he was concerned about that. He finally does deal with that issue in chapter 4 when he deals with those two ladies, Syntyche and Tychicus. Imagine, imagine, if you will, having your name. They would all rejoice. Boy, when Paul wrote them a letter, it's about like us getting a missionary letter. We like to hear about what's happening, what's on the field, what's taking place. But Paul wrote... And he had heard something evidently about these two ladies. They weren't getting along. And so, man, you know, he wanted that letter read. Could you imagine all the assembly being together? Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Boy, everybody's excited about that. And uh, yeah, what does Paul got to say? They start off with these things and his greeting for them. Man, he's all, we're in his heart. We're in his prayers. We're in his mind. All these kind of things. He gets over there to chapter four and he says, all right, now you two ladies, send could he Syntyche and Tychicus, that's their names. And I think if you look their names up, one actually means like a wreck or whatever, all right? And, uh, and, he, and he gets all of them and he said, man, y'all be of the same mind. In other words, what he's saying is y'all get along. Imagine, imagine if somebody called your name say, uh, read a letter and say, listen, I want to say something. Brother Mel, we want you to start doing better and doing right. I mean, how would that make you feel if you had your name read like that in front of everybody? Now, it's easy because we're not talking about us. We're talking about 
Tychicus and Syntyche. All right, we're talking about those two ladies, but man, I imagine it sort of, that was a little shock and awe, wasn't it? He's trying to keep them from having a problem. I'm not trying to be long here. I'm just trying to give you some of the context about this book because it's going to have a bearing on the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And I want you to see that. I want you to see, first of all, go, stay there with me in chapter one now. In chapter one, you'll find out that Jesus is the purpose of life. Jesus Christ is the purpose of life. That's what Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. And so ever he is to be the purpose of our lives. Uh, you know, we are, uh, we are Christians who are farriers. We are Christians who were transportation specialists. We are Christians who were clerks and secretaries. We are Christians who own their own business. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? We're not, we're not people who own our own business who happen to be Christians. No, that's not what the priority is. The priority is that we are believers. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And then those other things fall into line. And that should be the overarching thing about our lives. And so the purpose of life is found here in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Jesus is the pattern of life. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, he's the prize of life. That's why Paul said, man, that I may win him to get everything that I have coming to me from Christ, that I may get it all. And then lastly, he's the power of life. Hey, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I mean, he really is our all in all, is he not? And that's how he is to be, that is how he is to be respected and revered and followed in our lives. And so he prays for them about this. Look with me in verse nine. We'll get down to the message. I want you to know he is praying about their loving. He is praying about their loving. Notice what he says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You see, when you get saved, our destiny changes, does it not? Man, like that song says, you know, that I, a child of hell, should in his image shine. Hey, the comforter has come, right? Thank God, man, we were children of hell, but we got saved and our destiny has changed, all right? Our direction changes. That's what the repentance is. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so our direction changes. We're not walking in the same paths. We're not going to the same places. We're not hanging out with the same people. Or we're just not now. Listen, when I'm talking about friends, I'm not talking about that you and I shouldn't be the friend of sinners as the Lord was. But I'm talking about we don't live in the gutter, but we go to the gutter to try to reach them. Amen. You know, we are in the world, but not of the world. And so our direction has changed. And so has our, our desires have changed. Now we desire the things of God. Now we want to walk with him. We want to know him. We want to enjoy him, to sense his presence in, in what we do. Our appetites have changed. But not only destiny and direction and desires, but you know what? Our disposition is supposed to have changed. Our disposition, look at this with me. He said, I'm praying, what? That your love may abound, and how? Yet more and more in knowledge and judgment. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Remember? And if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
the Bible says that the, the this that Paul wanted their love life to abound. Their love life. And what that's talking about, when the word says abound, that means over and above. It is to be overflowing. It is to be outflowing. Now listen, don't make the mistake of confusing Christian love, charity. That's the word the Bible uses many times, like 1 Corinthians 13. Don't confuse the word love, Christian love, with the word lust. Because they are not the same thing at all. That song that came out when I was a kid in the 60s, what the world needs now is love, love, love. All that was, that was lust, lust, lust. That's how it was expressed in those days. You know, if it feels good, do it. Everything was about that. And, uh, and so that is not Christian love. Because Christian love is not, first of all, it's not sensual, it's not suggestive, and it's not sentimental. Sentimentality, it's not that way. Now listen, we're not robots. God gave us feelings and emotions. But you know, but hey, were you at, you know, when I was in the second grade, I had a girlfriend. That wasn't Christian love. I just like this little girl named Kara. And man, I'd bring her gifts or whatever. And what was funny, well, later on when I got in the service, I, I, uh, there was a guy that was training me uh, in, a, in a particular class, uh, the Altitude Chamber. And I saw his last name and I said, man, I, I've never seen anybody else with that name except a girl that I knew in school. And I said, where are you from? And he told me he's from the same town that I was from. And I said, well, do you know this person? He said, yeah, that's my sister. <laughs> I was married at the time. When I met him. But the point is. Is that man. What would you call that? You were infatuated with someone probably. But, that, that, but that's not the love. That the Bible is speaking about. And so. Uh, I mean you called it puppy love. Right? Whatever they were infatuated. You know the people that you were. That you had feel it, feelings for. That, that all changed. And you wound up where you are. <laughs> Amen. All right. But but understand something. Now now the the wellsprings of Paul's emotions were in Christ. This was a Christian generated love that he was expressing. That's what he says in verse 8 that I greatly long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In those innermost parts. Listen, when the Lord looked on people, he had compassion. When he was there with the rich young ruler, that young man went away sorrowing. And the Bible says that Jesus loved him. I mean, even Judas got a kiss. And the Lord said, friend. He didn't say, enemy of mine, what are you doing here? He didn't say, you rascal, you devil. He didn't do that. Christian love, I'm not going to say it doesn't have things that you feel, but beloved, you and I, we've got to understand that is the most shallow part of a person is our feelings. They are never to be in charge, not ever. We want the Holy Spirit to dictate our emotions, our words. He is to be in charge. Because you know what? Dead people... Don't really have feelings. 
Amen, Brother Ed. Dead people don't have rights. And the Bible says if one died for all, then we're all dead. You see, Christ died for me and also as me. That's something you got to let sink in. That is our identification with him. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm just saying, don't mistake lust for Christian love because they are not the same at all. Christian charity is not a feeling, it's an action word. For God so loved the world that he gave. It was the motivation. It's the thing that got them in trouble. Remember, remember I talked about First Corinthians, or I talked about the book of First Corinthians or the church at Corinth? They had all those gifts. They had more gifts that, that's, that are written about in, in the scriptures than any other church that I know of in the New Testament. They had all these gifts and they were operating, but the motive behind them was wrong. They, they, that's why Paul had to outline what were the better gifts. And, uh, and so, you know, he had to deal with those things because their motivation behind the use of them was not for the glory of God and for the good of others. It was about self. When you talk about lust, that's really is self that's involved. Christian love is not about myself. It's about others. It's about others. And so charity is an action word, but I want you to notice something. It is not without limits. Charity is not gullible. Man, they, they show a puppy on TV and what happens? Man, you want to start getting your money out so you can rescue that dog or whatever. And we don't know how much actually goes to dog food and medicine and how much support. And I'm, I'm not for cruelty to animals. I mean, I, I, have, I have a dog. I, I think about my dog, I care about my dog, but I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind, you know, if they get sick, I'm not the kind who's going to take them to the vet and spend $3,000 to keep them alive. We're not going to the dentist. I'm sorry out there in Facebook land or wherever, I'm sorry. It's not like one of my relatives. It's just my dog. I'm sorry. But that's what I'm saying. We're moved by things. That's not the same thing as Christian love. Although the Bible does say this. Let's put the balance on this. It says that a righteous man, you know, regardeth the life of his beast. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now, I don't believe, I don't believe to be cruel to an animal. And I need to take care of my animal if I'm going to have them. That means do what I can to keep them well. And I don't want to get off on dogs and cats and birds and things, all right? But, but, but here's the thing. Love is not without limits. In other words, Christian love, the love that Paul is talking about, he doesn't want it to be gullible. Listen, Christian love does not tolerate evil. Now, he loves us all, but does God love everything that man does? Absolutely not. And neither should we. We should love them enough to try to reach them with the gospel without being approving of what they do. 
That is the difference. Notice how it's governed. Look at it with me. Notice what he says, that your love may abound more and more. In, in what? In knowledge. In knowledge. What is that talking about there? In other words, in knowledge, it means by experience and, and, and things that we observe. And in all what? In all judgment. You know, in other words, by what measure? My perception and my discernment of things. I don't want to become, you know, Christian love should never be a facilitator to do that which is evil. I, you know, I remember once they were, uh, they were taken up, uh, this was years ago, and, uh, and I, sus I suspect this business is still in business. It was a charity, and they would take money from our paychecks, and, uh, and they would give it to these different, like whether it was Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, they would give it to several different nonprofit organizations, and they would take it from our check. And so the, the floor supervisor came around to me and said, are you going to participate in this? And I said, well, where's the money going? And he said, well, I, I don't know. Aren't you going to participate? And I said, well, I, not until I find out where it's going. He said, you know, every year we get our pins that say it was 100%. If you don't do this, you're going to be the only one that doesn't do this. And I said, well, then find out where the money's going. And so uh, I said, because, and I told him up front, I said, I'm not going to help support Planned Parenthood. I, I, I don't want to support abortion. This was in the early 80s. And that had just passed, you know, within a decade of that. And I said, I don't want my going, I don't want my money going for there. I said, I have to give an account to God for how I spend this money. I said, you know, I give through my church. I'm not a cheapskate. And he said, you know, they were really kind of put out with me. The other people that were on the floor, they were, you know, like, well, man, we want our pins. I've had them for the last seven years or whatever it was. And so then when I, he came back with a list of things, these are the charities. I said, okay, good. And so then I gave him like $5 a week. And then he came and he said, why are you giving so much? I could just couldn't make them happy, you know. Christian love, beloved, is not gullible. It is, it's based upon knowledge. It's governed by knowledge and governed by judgment. And you and I, we must not be facilitators. We don't, we would, we don't want to be partakers in other men's evil deeds. We love them where we can. We do what we can, but I'm not going to help you. In other words, you know, if somebody came, I've had people come and I, I, you know, sometimes come to the church. It's this time of year and they've got a need. And I ask them, I say, well, let me have the bill. Well, I don't have the bill or whatever. And then when some have brought the bill, I called the company. Do they really owe this money? Yes, they do. And so then I wrote the check out to the company, not to them. They haven't managed their first money right. Why would I give them more money to mismanage? So, I mean, you know, so it's just not a blanket thing. Everybody that comes along and smiles at me or solicits me on the phone, I just don't. I'm not an uncharitable person and I like to err on the side of mercy. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school. But you got to be wise about it. And that's what he wanted for them to grow. He wanted their love to grow in, 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 if you will, in knowledge and in judgment. And then look in verse 10 with me. Notice what he says. He's not only interested in their loving, but he's interested in their living. How they are living. Look at verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What he is telling them is kind of like what he told the church at 1 Thessalonica. He said, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. 
If you're going to prove all things, then you have to make an assessment about them as you bring them before, as you bring those things or those individuals or that activity before the Lord. Because the Bible says, it teaches us that sound doctrine is vital. And Paul knew if they would stay close on the doctrine, they wouldn't have some of the infections that were coming into the other churches in those New Testament times. Like, like in the region of Galatia, where they're mixing law and grace. The problems there in the church of Corinth. The problems in Colossae. They had mysticism. They had asceticism. They, they had what was called Gnosticism. I'm not trying to impress you with words. I'm just trying to say that's what those doctrines were, 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 were called and what was being introduced into the church. You know, the, uh, the Judaizers that came along, this, they were adding the law of Moses to faith in Christ. That was never what, that's what Galatianism is. And that's what they were doing. That's why the book of Galatians was written. The book of Colossians was written to counteract these things about, you know, taste not, touch not, handle not, live in a monastery. They, they also were teaching that, you know, God was too holy to have created the earth. Angels did that. And that's why Paul said, man, that Jesus Christ, by him, all things consist and all things were made by him and for him. He was the maker of this world. And, uh, and so that was written to correct an error in doctrine. Doctrine is so important. Knowing what we believe and why we believe it is so very, very vital. Paul said this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, what? Contrary to the doctrine. Not a doctrine, but the doctrine. Now watch, which you have learned and avoid them. Man, that doesn't sound like charity to me. But that's what it was. First Corinthians says that evil communications corrupts good manners. We become like those with whom we spend the most time. The Bible says a companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13 and 20. Wise men walk with wise men, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. We avoid those people with those contrary doctrines. Why? Because we don't want them to influence us. We don't want those things to come in into the church. And so the Lord, he's not teaching isolation, but it's insulation. If you know the truth, it's kind of like bank tellers. They only handle real money so that when a counterfeit comes through, they can recognize it. By our exposure to truth, that we have a constant diet of sound doctrine, it will protect us. I mean, look, go, turn with me. Turn with me to the book. I want you to go to the book of uh, 2 Timothy with me. Go to 2 Timothy. I've got several of these passages, but I just want you to look at this one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, correction, chapter 4. And notice this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, and what? Doctrine. The doctrine. There, there, listen, beloved, there's only one body of biblical truth. There's not 40 different of them. Salvation is by faith. It's by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is the, that is the gospel truth, all right? That is the truth of that passage, and it should be the same for everybody that says they're naming the name of Christ. That should be their doctrine, but that's not 
what is being practiced in our land today and in many other places. It is not. There are so many different offshoots. That's where all this stuff, denominations, you know, some came out from protesters with Martin Luther and so forth. I saw where the date passed, so, you know, in the, here just recently, this week, I think, is what he nailed all those things. And then the Pope answered him back and refuted 25. Anyway, that, all that stuff took place in history a few hundred years ago this week. But my point is, some of those things took, and that's why some of them are meeting today and they have error in their doctrine and what they're teaching and the doctrine of salvation is not correct. Listen, I don't think that only Baptists are going to heaven because there's a bunch of them that aren't because they're counting on being a Baptist. You know, my mom and daddy were Baptists. I was born a Baptist, raised a Baptist. Yeah, you may die, but I'm going to die a Baptist. Yeah, but is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's what matters. Now, I'm a Baptist by conviction, but I'm not counting on that for my conversion. And so Paul said, look, look at verse, we'll keep reading there. I asked you to go to verse 2. Look, look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure what? What kind of doctrine? Sound doctrine. That's where we are today. Sound doctrine. But after, after their own love, oh, oh, there's that word lust. That's not love. That's not in Christian love. That's about a selfishness there. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. A fable, a myth. That's the day and hour in which we live. We're in the times of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And Paul was concerned for the believers in Philippi that they would grow right in their love, that they would use good judgment and knowledge, do a little investigating, do a little searching before you just react to something, and then that their living would be right. That knowing what they believed and why they believed it was going to be so important. That's why he wanted them to have these things. Uh, just Let me just give you one more of these in First, in first Timothy in, in 1 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We talked about this in latter times. Um, but he was to, he was to refuse uh, wives, uh, wives' tales and, and, and cunningly devised fables and so forth. He was, to, he was to refuse those things. And he was to give himself to reading and to doctrine. Because in those days, he said, you would not only save your hearers, but save yourself. Doctrine, beloved, is important. It's not just because brother so-and-so told me. It's because it's what the Bible teaches. Because brother so-and-so or brother Ed could be wrong. That's why we've got to be like the Bereans. They were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so or not. You know, the, the, the test here is when you come to the house of God, you need to listen critically without having a critical spirit. A critical spirit is, I'm just looking to find fault. Well, bless me if you can. What, what, what can I pick apart today? That's not, that, that, that's not how you come, but you ought to come listening. Man, if I, if I was reading your sentence in a court, if I was getting ready to make a judgment about something that you had applied for, whether it be in a legal matter, I bet you somebody's going to be paying attention to what's being said. You're not going to lean over, now what did he say? How many years did I get? Uh, your Honor, would you repeat that again? I wasn't listening. 
They'd go to the court reporter, read that back, swallow hard 30 years. Uh-oh. Man, how did I miss that? Oh, you weren't listening. Beloved, you got to tune your ears for these things. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important to be here for every meeting. You know, the Bible talks about those that forsake the assembling of themselves. If you're going to grow, listen, if you only fed your child once a week, do you think they would have grown straight, normal, healthy? Or would they be anemic? Weak? Susceptible to infections? Yes, they would. And really, three hours a week is really not enough. That's a morning service, an evening service, and a midweek service. That's why you've got to feed on the Bible when you go home. You've got to have that doctrine in your life. You, listen, doctrine is not exciting, but it is always edifying. It'll help us. It'll help us. So we've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so we can walk as Christ walked. And, uh, and that's, what, that's why Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And you say, how long were they supposed to do that? Go back, go back to Philippians 1 with me. I'm nearing the end. Notice what he says. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Approve. Verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. In other words, that you could, you could see the difference in things. That you had an eye for that. That's what those excellent things. Things that are different. And be able to discern them. Why? By knowing the Bible. And what the Holy Spirit does. One of the things about him. He is in us. And you know what he, you know what he does? When I hear the truth, he said... That's the truth. But when I hear error, whether it be on the radio or I'm reading somebody's book, the Holy Spirit on the inside said, that's not right. That's not true. And then, take, then shows me where the verse is that, counter, that, that counterdicts or contradicts or countermands what that man said. And you've heard me say it a dozen times. We must put the word of God above the words of men. And not just the parts we like. This is not a cafeteria. Ooh, I, I, I like the steak, but I'm not much on broccoli. You know, it's not that way. Well, that seems so harsh and so old. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. So walking in the Spirit. And you say, for how long? Notice what it says, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense. For how long? Till when? To the, to the day of Christ. I mean, it's from here until the rapture. From here until you die. For the rest of your life. And, uh, and so they were to be walking in such a way that they were without offense. And the only way I know to do that is Paul said, herein do I always exercise myself to have a conscience that's void of offense toward God and men. Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Why was he doing that? Why? Because he measured everything by this gospel. He measured everything by what he had been taught from the word of God. He measured all of life's experiences by that. He wasn't counting on Oprah and Dr. Phil. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's Bible. Because it's popular doesn't mean that it's right a lot of times. It's worldly wisdom. And I hope none of y'all watched The View. I'm just going to throw that out there. 
I hope that you don't do that. Good night. I'd rather look at the test pattern on TV. Y'all remember that, don't you? Man, used to be the Indian on there in the railroad. I'm glad. I, I'm glad y'all understand where I'm coming from. Amen. Because you tell people that test pattern, what's that? Is that something in school? They don't have any clue. Yeah. Good night. I mean, that, anyway, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be distracted. And I don't want you to be that way either. But how long do we do this? Till the day of Christ. And so let's look at the last thing. Look at verse 11. Chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. He was interested in their love life. He was interested in their living, how they were living. That doctrine was having an impact on their life. And they were what? They were practicing these things. That's why it goes back over that. You were striving together for the faith of the gospel. That they were living out their faith. And that will have an impact and it will have an influence upon others. And then number three, look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. The scripture says this in the book of Proverbs. It says the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot. Those are strong words. The memory of the just. When you think upon people in the past and their Christian experience, we, we've talked about some of the people that we know mutually that have gone home to be with the Lord. And when we think about them, man, it brings back a fond memory of either a, a message that they preached or something that they did. Maybe they encouraged us or whatever. I, I remember uh, Brother Ron Garris. I don't know if you had ever met Brother Ron Garris. He was one of the founders of the Rock of Ages prison ministry. And he would preach in prison to prisoners and then we would have him for youth camp. And we would go to a youth camp where he would be preaching to kids. A guy that was in prison all the time and then preaching to kids. It was quite the antithesis of what his usual audience was. But man, they loved him. And we, got, we became friends. And I would go to different places where he was preaching and pray with him, find his motel or whatever. And one time I went down there to see him and, I, and he wanted to know how things were doing. And boy, I just barely got out. Oh, brother, man, the tears began to go. And I mean, I hadn't, I, 30 seconds hadn't gone by, Brother Mel. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, you shut up. And he said, God's been good to you. And then on my face, I felt these little lines like burning a packet. Trying to get back up in there in my eyes. He rebuked me. And you know why he did it? Because he loved me. He wasn't moved by my tears. He wasn't moved by my whining. He gave me what I needed. You did the same thing with your children, I hope, didn't you? You weren't moved by their whining. But why would you think that God would have us be any other way? That's what I'm talking about. That, that love is measured. It doesn't, it's not limitless. It has limitations on it. That we do it in knowledge and in judgment. But Brother Garris knew what I was needing. And so men like that, brother, they have a, they have a place in our hearts. Why? Because they helped us. Because they loved us in spite of ourselves and didn't give us what necessarily what we, what we wanted, but they gave us what we needed. And notice he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That just simply means to do right. And so, you know, when people, when people think about what they're getting ready to do, their activities or, or appetites, what, you know, they, they, they always ask this. Well, they say, uh, is this popular? Well, well, what are they doing? What are these people doing? Well, what, what are the rest of them doing? Or they might even get a little more personal. Are, are you going to do that? 
Tell me what you're going to do first. And then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You ever met anybody like that? You ever said, well, what are you going to do about it? Or they ask the questions, hey, does it make me feel good? This is going to benefit me. But the Christian ought to ask, is it right? Is this right? Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all what? Do all to the glory of God. It has to pass that glorification test. Is God going to be glorified? He wanted their minds on the glory of God. Why? Because these fruits would be do what? Now look at verse 11. Which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That ultimately he wanted the results of their life to be God honoring. Beloved, that's what we ought to be, you know, that's what we should be shooting for. The Christian has to ask, is it right? We have to ask, is this going to hurt somebody else? Is this going to draw men to the Savior or is this going to drive them away before I participate? What's the impact of my decision going to be on my children? What's it going to be on my neighbors? And sometimes when you're agreeing with God and you do that, the neighbors don't understand because unsaved men don't understand judgment, the Bible teaches. They don't understand it. You know, I had to make a decision once about a family member. And so, you know, some of my family came to me and said, man, you're just not human. And then, and you know, and this had to do with a wedding. And so they left a part of the wedding out that says, you know, um, if anyone here has a reason why this couple shouldn't be married, let them speak now forever and hold their peace. They said, no, we don't want that in there because one of our relatives is going to be here in the audience. That relative was me. And they really thought that I would stand up and say that. Boy, they're just so. <laughs> it's funny. I look back on it now. So let me ask you a question. And I'm going to be done. Three little questions. Number one, how is your love life? Is it growing? Is it growing the way that it should? You know, you prune trees to get them to grow a certain way, right? If something needs to be pruned, maybe you need to look at it more seriously. Christian love versus my sentiment or what makes me feel good or whatever. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? How is your love life? And then number two, are, are you more like the Bereans? Do you search the scriptures? Do you look at those things? Do you dig them out sometimes? You say, man, Solomon said much study is wearisome to the flesh. You are right. It is. He was right. He told the truth. But, you know, some of you are very discriminating in your diet. I don't want to reveal your medical things or whatever, but some of you know you, you're not going to have salt or you're not, you're not going to have gluten or you're, you're, you're not going to have sugar. You're very, you're very dis, discreet about those things. You show discretion. But what about your spiritual health? That just doesn't happen. We have something to do with that. And then lastly, what are you leaving behind? The memory of the just is blessed. These folks were supposed to be leaving behind things where God would be glorified. What are you leaving behind when you think about that? Sometimes you've got to look back over your life. And I know, you know, men do this when they have, uh, when they have what they call it the midlife crisis. I'm not sure when it happens. 
midlife, early life, late life. But some, men sometimes, ladies, they do this. They look back on their life and say, what did I, what have I accomplished? And they look back and say, gosh, not very much. And then they go out and do something silly like buy a Lamborghini or they get involved with another one. That, that's what they do. And something else to conquer, something else to overcome, something to show that I still got it. It should be a lot more measured. I don't think it's wrong to say, Lord, what, what have I done? What have I done? We sing that in the song. You know, I left all. What have you left for me? I've given all. What have you given for me? We sing it in a song, but we don't, we, we, we don't exactly examine our lives in the light of that. And he wanted them. He loved them so much. And he wanted to see them flourish and prosper and glorify God. I think that's every man of God's heart for his church. It's not mine. For the Lord's church. That, that you all would do well. Enjoy the blessings of God. Leave something behind for the generations to come. Man. A lot of men, boy, they seek for immortality. But I'd rather, I'd rather hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I so thank you, Lord, for my church family. Dear God, thank you for these precious words from Paul, who had a heart for you and a heart for these people. And I pray, Father, that we may, we may receive this mixed faith with what we've heard. And, Lord, that, uh, that your will really would be done in our lives. We'd examine it maybe a little bit differently today as we try to love like Christ, as we try to live like Christ, and then leave something like Christ. He's still affecting the world. So, Lord, we love you and we need you. And I pray you'll bless in the invitation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.